0: Hi, folks. Terry Harris here. On this episode of Market Hunt, we understand the impact of trade wars, learn how business and universities work together, and reveal the differences in accounting practices for marketing budgets in North America and Europe. But first, let's set the scene. An entrepreneurial engineer is running a small optical manufacturing company in Ottawa, one of the coldest capital cities in the world. He had been making optics for bottling can factories and fiber optic switches, for use in Canada's harsh winter environments. His optics had to withstand the cold, wind, and snow that are typical of Canadian winters. He figured, why not use it to measure what's going on in space? We had been making reflective optics and
1: looked at this and said, well, okay, that's not a whole lot different than what we're used to.
0: Ignore the fact that it's going to space. What happens when an entrepreneur decides to hunt for a market with one client producing one product it's only going to be made one time. And what happens when the conditions to test out this unique product don't exist on Earth because the product was meant for outer space? Well, what wouldn't you do to discover whether or not there was water on Mars? Find out more on this episode of Market Hunt. What
1: we don't understand
0: about the universe
1: far outweighs what we understand. Entrepreneurship's hard. You need to have support there. The thing about the space industry, once you start adding space uh, successes to
0: your corporate resume, then you get more requests. We're coming up with some pretty interesting ideas. <laughs> we solved it, solved <laughs> We've everything. Solved. <laughs> We've solved it all. Why would a business pursue something that isn't scalable, repeatable, and which will put a serious strain on their capacity? Meet Brian Krieber of Beacon Engineering. Beacon Engineering designs and manufactures non-traditional optics. Their optical instruments are made with computer-numerically controlled optical equipment. This expertise gives Beacon the opportunity to work in many different markets, including space, automotive, projection displays, and defense. The company is international in both its supply chain and its sales territories. Brian explains how he determines which markets he works with internationally.
1: One of the first things that I consider, uh, mostly because I'm the marketing guy, I like to work in countries that do business similar to the way we do business in Canada. That's not to say that there aren't huge markets in areas where I would have to learn a new way of doing business. But for the purposes of of BCON and and how we're growing our company, uh, we typically will go into a market where... The, the methods of doing business are similar because doing business means setting up a relationship. So if you can set up a relationship in a way that you understand, then you're more likely to be successful. So, uh, we have very good long-term clients in, in countries like the Netherlands, Norway, uh, the U S Australia, a lot of, com- lot of countries, well, and, and other Western um, European, you know, Germany, France, countries that typically when you think of doing business, you're doing business very s- in a very similar method. It's all about developing that relationship with the
0: client, growing it from there. The company uses universities to help develop its products. Brian explains what type of research projects he is looking for.
1: A lot of it is is the science that they're doing. We don't typically do projects where the focus of the academic is, uh, you know, say high volume production. Let's. You know, take, for example, projectors that are all going to be built in Asia. We don't get into that kind of area very much. Uh, but where we do get involved is uh, is areas where um, there could be, there doesn't always have to be, but there could be a fairly high component of Canadian input into it. Uh, and certainly... Canada is known for a fair number of areas of science, and um, as long as it has that kind of component to it, and and we are seeing it certainly the work at uh, at Lethbridge, uh, we've done uh, work with the physics department at University of Toronto, areas like that 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 Canada is, if we're not leading, we're certainly in the you know top five. Um, in those areas of science. That ticks a big
0: box on our list. BCON works with various universities in Canada and the United States, including the MMRI Institute at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, led by Dr. Steven Velduce. Let's listen in on how Brian put that project together. Most of our
1: equipment is, is CNC or commu- uh, computer numerical controlled. And I was looking for a facility that specialized in the understanding of CNC equipment. In, in our industry, there is typically a little bit of history on, on tool design. Tools are all made out of natural diamonds or synthetic diamonds. Uh, but what is understood about making optical surfaces with diamonds and, and CNC equipment Uh, is really what was in the heads of a handful of people 20 years ago. And when we were looking at uh, what we needed to do, space industry, uh, what we needed to do for larger volume products, we needed to understand more about how a diamond cuts material, what we needed to do to the material to enhance that effect, what coolants we might need. So I was looking around for a university that had a a great deal of CNC experience and McMaster had one of the best labs in Canada. It was set up to support the automotive industry. Uh, At the time we approached McMaster University, the automotive industry wasn't very busy in Canada. So uh, uh, Stephen Veltice was looking for projects to work on. So we defined a few projects for them to work on, and the students were using the same techniques that they would be using to develop cutting feeds and speeds and and what have you for the automotive industry. They really didn't think much about the fact that we're using a precision that is a thousand times greater than the automotive industry. They were still just looking at how tools interact with the materials that we're using. In fact, a number of them were quite surprised when they actually saw what we were doing with what they were learning. Uh, But uh, that's initially how we approached and why we had to approach that particular university. Different universities are doing different things. We do a lot of work now with uh, the University of Lethbridge uh, the University of Lethbridge is doing a great deal of work in uh, ground-based astronomy instruments and so we're doing a fair bit of work with them. Uh, they have some equipment that we don't have and couldn't justify putting it into our facility. David Naylor at the University of Lethbridge uh, has that has a need for the kinds of things that we do uh, so there's always one-off projects to do for him and then we we get the benefit of what they learn, and then we can put it into our processes.
0: What exactly does Brian mean by
1: benefits? Take, for example, the work that we did at McMaster University. Uh, We were looking at how the tool cuts the material. And um, the students started looking at how the grain structure of the material affected the surface that was cut so when we looked at that we said well you know if we could find a material that had grain sizes that were a tenth of a micron typical material is aluminum alloy typical grain structures are two to ten microns so if we could get something that was a hundredth of the grain structure, we could make a better product. So we started looking around and there was a material. Uh, the National Research Council had had uh, uh, shown the existence of this rapid solidification material. Um, we, we tried doing some work with that at the university, and sure enough, it followed what the students were were predicting. So then we had to look for a commercial supplier of that material. And uh, there is a commercial supplier. It's in the Netherlands. Uh, we now have been working with that Netherlands company for the last 15 years uh, using this material to mostly make space optics. Although uh, uh, if we get uh, an optic where the client has is looking for extreme specifications we will offer that material as an as a um, uh, possible solution the material is is uh i typically think of it is a hundred times more expensive but in the end it actually makes a less costly optic because you can reach the spec that
0: the customer is looking for a lot easier So what the students are essentially doing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that they are working on materials and processes and they're testing hypotheses to see if what they've thought would work, will actually work, and then you can then port that onto uh, a business case or onto a space project, and then you have your commercial supplier, and then you're able to replicate those processes in Beacon Engineering in order to produce the optics that will then go into the optical system, that will then go into space. Is that more or less? Uh, that's that's correct. That's what we're doing.
1: Uh, with the Group and Lethbridge they typically have an instrument design and uh, we'll put into the design what we think can be manufactured but then they're by proofing out their instrument they are actually confirming the hypothesis so the thing about the work at the University of Lethbridge, it's usually in an area where most of us can't work. Most of the work at University of Lethbridge uh, is working near absolute zero, so it's in the two to four degree Kelvin range. Most of us can't work in that area. Um, at at Beacon, we typically have processes that um, we will run at. 77 kelvin but we don't te- typically go much colder than that lethbridge has the capability to to confirm a lot of things that uh, we only uh design theoretically and
0: and manufacture and hope that the design works <laughs> And it goes back to what your initial um, point was about penetrating the space industry is that you need to be proving what you're doing every step of the way so that by the time the engines are running, it's going to be okay and the work is done. <laughs> you yeah, can you can't really and... <laughs>
1: send a serviceman up there if the thing is orbiting Mars to fix it. <laughs>
0: The use of universities to test BCON instruments stems out of the need to demonstrate with certainty that BCON's instruments will work. Brian's team acts as an integrator to put these processes into a greater optical system. He elaborates.
1: Our focus is typically what do we do, what do we need to do to the machines to make them better? So it's very useful if someone else is doing some of the science for us so that we can do the engineering uh, uh, we we have some of the only CNC optical lays uh, in the world that are totally temperature-controlled for uh, making space optics. Uh, we continue to evolve that. Over the years, the last few years, we've done uh, R&D projects that have been funded by the Canadian Space Agency. We have a reputation at the Canadian Space Agency of coming up with interesting
0: ideas that... Uh, They like to fund. Let's go back in time and explore why Beacon decided to go into the space industry in the first place.
1: Well, I think the first one that we did, uh, we were approached by Ball Aerospace uh, out of Colorado. They were working on a Mars mission. Uh, It was an orbital mission, and they had a a camera that uh, used reflective optics, and uh, we were... We had been making reflective optics and looked at this and said, well, okay, that's not a whole lot different than what we're used to. Ignore the fact that it's going to space. It's not a whole lot different than what we're used to doing. We think we can do that. And um, the biggest challenge was being able to, to prove to the industry that you actually did what they asked you to do. And uh, so some of these optical systems for space are uh, uh, a little bit out of the ordinary. So we had to be fairly uh, innovative in the methods and, and uh, tools that we set up to prove to the client that we did what they asked us to do. So s- Some of the work was well outside of the range of what our equipment was designed to do, but By a little bit of thought and innovation, we were able to to make that first instrument. And the the thing about the space industry, once you start adding space uh, successes to your corporate resume, then you get more requests.
0: Brian had taken a bet on dedicating the little resources he had to develop an optic which would eventually go into space. His bet paid off. And it continued to pursue space missions following the initial foray into this new market. Was this all by design in some sort of master plan?
1: Not really. Uh, we were looking at um, positioning ourselves in in the area of uh, optical systems for harsh environments. Uh, i had had some experience with harsh environments, uh, plants that used a lot of water and um chemicals and things like that so i'd done a fair bit of work in that area and uh so really was just focusing on uh making optical systems for harsh environments and those harsh environments could be uh well some of my background has been in things like bottling shops for breweries and we did a lot of work uh in the in the uh, telecom business uh in the fiber optic days, so making switches that, that survive the uh, outdoor environment,
0: that kind of thing. Brian was able to transfer his knowledge of optical manufacturing and translate this towards integrating his optics into larger systems destined for space missions. He was also able to optimize the processes for working with the industry, which would serve him well during Beacon's early years of making optics. Looking back, what would Brian today have told Brian back then, during this early stage of his company?
1: Probably what Brian then knew, it took a lot of patience. You, you, things for space don't happen quickly. So as long as you are patient um, and are, like to be challenged by something new, um, then it. It is a niche market that you can be successful in. The, the single major thing that you have to have in, in, the, uh, in the space industry is you have to be able to show the sequence of events. So you have to be able to describe your processes in advance, get those approved, and then prove to the client that you followed those processes to achieve the, the final result. Uh, there, there are many optic suppliers out there that, that have difficulty in the space industry because they can't show that every process is documented, then every process
0: was followed. As Brian points out, the process of documenting the innovations and designs they were executing were critically important to be able to pursue the space market. He did have one small advantage. In those
1: years, that was fairly easy because there was only two of us in the company. So uh, it was a matter of of documenting what the plan was going to be and then following and documenting the plan. Uh, there were iterations, uh, very definitely, uh, particularly in the metrology. Uh, uh, we had to be a bit innovative because our building wasn't quite big enough to uh, uh, to get the path link that we needed to do the measurements.
0: So we had to be a, a little bit innovative there. Another important aspect is the customer experience of working with Beacon. We want the client to
1: um, understand that we can be a resource in the design of their uh, optical system. Uh, so, the client doesn't have to have all the answers. They can they can involve our engineering team in solving the problems of of building a particular instrument. So, and certainly that has evolved over the years to where we are today. Uh, we are part of the design team on uh, a number of of the projects. Uh, we We get invited by our clients to uh, things like the most recent one was uh, we were invited by the Canadian Space Agency to the monthly meeting of ESA over in the Netherlands uh, to tell the the European clients, uh, the European partners, about the Canadian capability in uh, which is fairly unique in in making all reflective instrument telescopes. So these are these are not the James Webb you know th- these are not uh, large diameter telescopes. these are typically instrument telescopes that are uh, anywhere from 100 millimeter diameter to, three four hundred millimeter diameter so these are the kinds of things that uh, uh, that would orbit a planet Um, there are a number of missions going on uh, some looking at the sun some looking at uh, the uh, outer planets Uh, but every one of those missions that has uh, some sort of view of the science is using a telescope of some sort and we typically make all reflective telescopes they're they're um the the important thing about an all reflective telescope is you can use all similar materials so the thermal changes don't really change the performance of the telescope and then and that's important when you're in space because um I'll I'll use James Webb as a good example. One side of James Webb sees the sunshine, so it gets hot. Uh, Where our instruments are on James Webb uh, is the cold side of the telescope. It's four degrees Kelvin all the time, so it's super cold. So you have to be able to handle those kinds of uh, temperature
0: extremes. After completing the Ball Aerospace Project, DECON went on to work on a NASA project with a jet propulsion lab for the Phoenix Mars lander mission in 2008. Well, the Mars, the, the Phoenix lander, um, the Canadian
1: contribution to the lander was the weather station. So the weather station um, was a LIDAR, so a, a laser-driven uh, device. Uh, they needed a telescope to... Uh, as part of the the light collection, uh, part of the uh, device, uh, we were extremely restricted in the mass that we could put on the uh, the satellite. Uh, so we had to come up with a telescope that uh, was about 100 millimeters in diameter, but it could only weigh 130 grams. So 130 grams is about half the weight of uh, a can of pop. So it wasn't allowed to weigh much. It had to be strong enough to survive the rigors of launch and the, the landing and then do what it needed to do for a period of... Uh, our mission was about 12 weeks, although uh, the mission itself, uh, the uh, lander returned information well past its 12-week mission. Uh, We were in the north part of Mars, northern polar region, in their summertime. Uh, Our daytime temperature was minus 40 Celsius, and at nighttime it got to be minus 80 Celsius. So it was a balmy summer day. And uh, we basically uh, monitored things like uh, particulate in the air, um, in the atmosphere, wind speeds, that kind of thing. The whole focus of the Phoenix Lander was to determine whether there was water on Mars. So it, the, And in fact, we did find water, there was water in the soil, uh, the soil samples. We were seeing uh, snowflakes in the air. Uh, so, so yes, it was a, it was a successful mission um, because it was focused on, is there water
0: on Mars? In space projects, a small manufacturer like Beacon will work with a larger integrator in order to deliver a product for them to integrate into their systems. At the time, Beacon was interfacing with MDA, a large space aeronautics company. Back then, Beacon had under twelve employees. Let's hear Brian describe this process in greater detail. So typically we're making
1: optical assemblies that go into a larger integrated instrument the the instrument would have electronics and things like that that we don't typically supply but uh, uh we would make uh optical assemblies uh sometimes we actually integrate the optical assemblies into what might be a housing for the the whole instrument so uh, in the in the case of the first one with ball aerospace uh, we did some work on the instrument housing, integrated the optics uh, with the, the Phoenix. Uh, we basically made the telescope assembly.
0: Prestige aside, why make one product one time for one client on a particular mission? Let's hear Brian elaborate on this.
1: Until recently, the space industry really is has been focused on single missions. So a single mission would be uh, an instrument package going somewhere to do something. Um, the very useful part of being a part of that industry is the the ability to develop processes which you can then use for other things that are uh, are higher volume, on, you know, on on Earth, and in fact. That's been a common goal of the space industry since the early 60s.
0: Technologies stemming from space exploration include phone cameras, wireless headsets, and athletic shoes. You can check out some more space innovations on the ie-knowledgehub.ca website. For a small company with limited resources, partnership with a larger, high-profile institution was a good move. It's the prestige. It's on the
1: corporate resume. And that's, that's quite valuable from a, a marketing perspective. We can go almost anywhere if you have that on your corporate resume. Clients can look up that mission. There is all sorts of, of uh, published data on all of these missions. And just to be able to say, yep, we were part of it. Uh, and there's, yeah, we have a few uh, certificates from various, various missions when they're successful. So uh, a few certificates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all we get. The that's data, yeah. we get the data too. Yeah. And, and in fact, even the the work we're doing now, there, there is, a, I consider that there's a great deal of use in the science that is being developed. The, 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 uh, um, what we don't understand about the universe far outweighs what we understand. So, the educational part of doing this is is extremely useful to you know to all of us. Some of us may not think of it much uh, on a day to day basis, but uh, it's it's useful to have an understanding of what's around us. And and a lot of people, you know, look up in the sky and think they see everything that's there, but you got to remember that what we don't understand is is more than 90% of what's out there. What we understand is only 10%
0: or less. The data on the performance of BCON's instruments allows them to innovate their own product lines. This creates a virtuous cycle of innovation. Brian explains why SMEs like his are ideal places for innovation to occur.
1: One of the things that uh, the SME has to to be aware of is that you don't design sort of inside a black box. You have to know what's going on outside the box. Be prepared to offer your client assistance to integrate your product into his system. Because you're probably the best capability to be able to do that. So offer that to him. essentially try to help them out as much as you can. An SME is always f- faster at being able to supply a solution than a larger client larger company. So uh, many of our clients are are bigger companies. We can turn things around a lot faster than they can. So we're always uh, at the door saying, please make a decision on the following because we're ready to go. We're ready to provide that solution and give them the list of things that they have to make a decision on. Don't leave it to them to uh, have to come up with the list you do it all for them, then it's a lot easier for them, makes their job easier, gives you more
0: leverage to be their solution provider. Beacon's expertise allows them to operate in many markets, including designing optics for optical manufacturers who are mass producing optics on their own.
1: We can support companies that are mass producing them. It's a growing. Market, but if, even the space industry is a growing market. Uh, uh, there is a uh, U.S. company that's saying that they're going to put up forty-two thousand optical communication satellites in the next five years. Those are all requiring optical telescopes. Those are not radio devices. So, yeah, there's it's a growing market. You know over the years we've done work with automotive companies in Germany uh, doing uh, you know next generation heads-up display. That stuff goes out of vogue back in again. We're just the last couple of months we've been doing uh, heads up display for automotive this time for a US client but you know, those kinds of things come and go but the basic science behind them, is the kind of thing that we continue to evolve and we continue to evolve it mostly for our our, uh, space clients but we have it in our arsenal of things that we can do when the automotive guys show up and they have some money to spend want to come up with some new products then you have to teach your in my case the other engineers in the company have to introduce them to those relationships because uh, you have to pass that relationship on to uh,
0: to the other members of the team. So we had a chance to see that because you're also, you know, you've got to sell this to your own team saying, Hey, this is going to be a fruitful relationship for us. Um, and, and here's why it's a win-win. The company we are referring to is Pufferfish based in Edinburgh, Scotland. Pufferfish makes spherical displays some the size of small cars that go into rock concerts, museums, and other venues. Brian is leading the North American division of Pufferfish. Pufferfish North America uh, is a
1: major investor in the UK parent company. So uh, uh, we've looked at, at how you market the spherical display in North America, how you market it in Europe, um, The markets are different actually. Uh, In North America, there is some competition. There are uh, American suppliers of the same similar products. Uh, So it's more difficult for us to actually sell the hardware in North America. We rent it, a big part of our business is renting it. Because we've looked at the market and said, well, who is going to need it? And do they have a budget to buy it? And we determined in North America, the guys that need it are the marketing departments of companies. Marketing departments typically don't have capital budgets. They have discretionary budgets, so they can't buy it, but they can rent it, and so our our model in north america has been well we have the equipment we'll rent it to you you use it at your trade show we take it back and put it back in our stock room and the next trade show that you need it at you know just give us a call and we'll be there for it so that's a little bit different the the european model is gradually picking that up the european model had typically been we sell the hardware to a company so you need to have uh, you need to convince the company that they need to invest in this capital equipment because their marketing department might need it so you would typically put it into uh... a company's head office as as a centerpiece piece of equipment to uh... market their their Capability to visitors to their facility. Whereas what we're doing is renting the equipment to their marketing department for use at trade shows and things like that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, maybe legal firms or investment banks with very deep pockets want to remodel their front office every six months and then you can, <laughs> you can offer them another oh, well, one. Well, that's great. <laughs> Who knows? The sky's the limit. The
1: sky's that. the limit. The, the, one of the systems that I deal, did sell was totally based on that. Sold one to Madison Square Garden in New York, and they had no use for it. But they said, that we need one in our stock just in case some group comes in and they need it. And we have it.
0: So wow. Well, we might see it at the Westminster Dog Show. Who and knows? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? That's amazing, Brian. Um, so this is a good example. You know, you gave a very poignant point here, uh, which I don't want to overlook, which is you said that marketing, first of all, you have to know, you know, who can buy it and if they have the budget to buy it. And marketing departments often don't have capital expenditure budgets. They have discretionary budgets. So seeing this as something that they have to, you know, put depreciation on and they're going to hang on to it for a while. And it's probably not a cheap thing to buy. It's more to their advantage to rent it out. And when you're uh, looking at that as a solution, you're actually solving their job, which is, I don't want to be stuck with this thing that's, you know, gathering mothballs, you know, that, 10 months out of 12 kind of thing. That's right. And, and then we can be become very good
1: at making sure that that piece of hardware is at the show at the right time. We set up relationships with uh, the, the trade show support companies. The, um, there's, there's a number of major ones, and, uh, and so we set up re- relationships with them. So, we, uh, And that just takes it a lot of the uh, work from the person that's actually trying to set up their marketing at, at a trade show. Uh, if you've ever done a trade show, they are incredibly difficult to uh, coordinate and you know you have to be there it's, this is oh yeah this is not a, a situation where you can be 4 hours
0: late you have to be there when the show starts, yeah, ready to go, lights, camera, action. That's, yeah, it. that's it. And just to finish up with, uh, purposes, so the software is still being developed in Edinburgh, or are you doing any software development over here as well?
1: We for do, uh, we do application development over here. The the basic software in the in the equipment is developed in Edinburgh, but to brand the equipment for our clients, so so to make it look like it is his equipment. We do that over here. That that we call application
0: development. Going into international markets isn't without its challenges. You have to
1: keep on top of what's going on in the world. You have to know what the politics are doing because that can really affect you. Take Beacon for example. With the last government change in the U.S., uh, they, the U.S. has focused much more on the buy America. We had been manufacturing a lot of product that they used in their military, and then it, exports in that area went to zero. Uh, so we had to look for other markets for our capability. You know, Over the last few years, we had other markets come to us. So you, so you have to be aware of the geopolitics and then you have to make some decisions on what you're going to focus on based on those geopolitics. We still have extremely good relationships with our clients in the US, uh, both the clients that we buy from and the clients that we sell to. That really didn't change a whole lot. It's just the, the markets that had been integrated um, there are some protections that they've put in place. Uh, some of the other markets are, um, are actually expanding. The, uh, certainly the environmental protection type markets, uh, it doesn't matter where they are, those markets seem to be growing. So we have, we have clients in the U.S. that make instruments for that market and those clients are continuing to grow what they're uh, purchasing from us. Uh, we we buy product in the U.S., so that that continues.
0: Geopolitics aside, let's explore the SME's role in innovation creation in a modern economy. So the SME truly does have a purpose in a modern industrial or post-industrial, whatever you want to call it, in a modern economy. Oh, absolutely,
1: absolutely. I I have to think that. The biggest part of innovation happens in SMEs. The bigger company has has the uh, resources to make the big project happen, but a lot of the innovation is happening in the in the small enterprise, and that's why a lot of the big companies are are looking at uh, smaller groups within their organizations, uh, you know, like greenhouse innovation projects within their own organization because they, they realize that you can't innovate with
0: 4,000 employees. You have to innovate with a few. Market Hunt is produced by Cartouche Media in collaboration with Seroton Studios in Montreal and Pop-Up Podcasting in Ottawa. Market Hunt is part of the IE Knowledge Hub Network. Funding for this program comes from the Social Sciences and Humanities Resource Council of Canada. Executive producers Hamid Etamat, McGill University Deshoteel Faculty of Management, and Hamid Motaghi, Université de Québec en Outaouais. Associate producer Jose Orlando Montes, Université de Québec à Montréal. Technical producers Simon Petraki, Seratone Studio, and Lisa Carrido, Pop Up Podcasting. Show consultant JP Davidson. Artwork by Melissa Gondreau. You can check out the IE Knowledge Hub case study on Beacon Engineering, as well as other cases at ie-knowledgehub.ca. For Market Hunt, I'm Thierry Harris. Thanks for listening.